Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Scran, a podcast passionate about Scottish food and drink. As it's Burns Night on the 25th of January, this week I'm going to be talking to a range of guests about haggis, the traditional supper, the toast to the haggis, what's on and where to drink. I'm joined in the studio with Caitlin from the Edinburgh Evening News. Hi Caitlin. Hi Rod. So basically there'll be a lot going on in Edinburgh over this weekend coming for Burns Night. What events or dinners would you recommend in the capital? We're not short of things to do. So this year will mark the 261st birthday of the National Bard and restaurants around Edinburgh have really gotten into the spirit. So if going out for Burns Night is your thing, then there's plenty to choose from. First on the roundup is Dunstane House, which is a boutique hotel in the capital's West End. They'll be providing a proper Burns Night, complete with traditional piping in, a dressing of the haggis and a four-course supper. They've also teamed up with Highland Park Whiskey to offer a tasting with a brand ambassador and there'll be live Scottish folk music with a late bar as well. That's always good. A world-leading chef will be in-house at On Dine on Burns Night. So Jason Atherton, who owns Pollen Street Social in London, will be there. He will be doing a fish-themed Burns Supper, which is something a bit different. Yeah, that is a bit different. Bohemia are also serving up a Burns Supper and Holyrood Distillery will be doing that with a whiskey tasting as well. And New Street Food Venue Leith Arches are set to have an evening full of traditional Scottish fare and their in-house food nourish. He'll be offering up a burn supper as well. For those looking for a Cayley to celebrate, the Scottish Cafe and Restaurant on the Mound are holding one and the Counting House on West Nicholson Street are holding one. And there's a couple of one-of-a-kind experiences as well that are rounded up as well. So Wedgwood, the restaurant, they've teamed up with the Real Mary Kings Close and guests will have a three-course dinner with a recital of Burns poetry before going to Mary Kings Close and getting a guided tour of all the streets around Edinburgh, which are underneath the Royal Mile. And New Hales House and Garden is offering up a drive-through Burns supper, which is great for families too. There's a couple of restaurants which are offering Burns-themed foods, which are a little bit more relaxed. So the printing press are serving up a Burns supper with all the trimmings. La Favorita are serving up a haggis pizza, which has tatties on it and a drizzle of scotch. And the Cauldron are launching three special cocktails to celebrate Scotland on Burns night as well. Sounds good. Fun fact, I once made a rhubarb and custard souffle with Jason Atherton. Which has nothing to do with Burns Night. <laughs> How did it taste? It was actually nice and it was easier than you would think. I had quite a bit of help from his sous chef. So, <laughs> anyway, that all sounds very good. A mix of a bit of fine dining, a bit of experiences, and some more relaxed things. Yeah, there's lots of Scottish music going on, lots of fine dining, lots of more casual things. So, there's something for everyone. Great, thank you very much. Okay, so now I'm joined by Mark Thompson, who is the brand ambassador for Scotland for Glenfiddich Whiskey. And as part of his job, Mark is often the man toasting the haggis at Burns Suppers all over the world. Hello, Mark. Hi, thanks for having me. That's okay, thanks for coming in. So as we've been talking about, the 25th of January is Burns Night, which includes a famous toast to the haggis. And this has become synonymous with whiskey. Why do you think that is? And was this the traditional drink in Burns's day? Oh, very much so. There's a... An unusual connection, actually, because the Burns Night's all about celebrating traditional Scottish 
things. You know, there's a Cayley that typically happens, so there's traditional Scottish music or uh, a fiddler at least. And Burns, amongst his many loves in his life, loved whiskey, liked to dram. Although, strangely enough, his latter employment was, uh, before really turning to a port, was a gauger, which is an excise man. So he actually worked trying to catch people that were illegally making whiskey. And he actually wrote many poems about the amber nectar and on one side was trying to uphold the law and on the other side was damning it in the very same way. So I think, you know, Burns is seen as an iconic symbol of all things free loving, free Scotland, free whiskey, free food, enjoyment, all these things that uh, just sort of falls into people's psyche when you think about it. So yeah, it's for for all time, I think, as there's been whiskey around. So you've toasted the haggis at events and dinners probably fairly often do you quite enjoy that i do i always get nervous i recently did one at the uh, one of the oldest burn suppers in the world um royalty and you know you're standing in front of 200 people that are all scottish and i've probably been to many burn suppers so that all of a sudden puts a different emphasis on it I lived in London for a long time, so when you do the address of the haggis down in London, you get away with it because you're kind of hoping nobody can quite keep up with what you're saying. But in Scotland, it's a very different situation. So um, I think now, you know, I, I do enjoy it, but I still get very nervous doing it. Where's the most unusual place you've ever hosted a Burns night? Oh, goodness. I think I think one is not so much unusual, but I did um, I did a week of them when I lived in London. As the popularity of the Burns night grew... I was quite well placed, this was prior to working for Glenfiddich, quite well placed to, to offer a whiskey tasting and then do the address to Haggis as well. So I actually did five in a week and it started from uh, the Caledonian Club in London, which is a private members club. It's actually an Edinburgh chef, Tom Kitchen, came down to cook for that one. It was quite good. And as the week progressed from Michelin star chefs and private members clubs in Mayfair. My final one of the week was at my local pub, uh, the Rosen Crown in Walthamstow, which is a very traditional Victorian theatre pub. And it wasn't so much an unusual situation, but in my head, the variety of audience I'd had in that particular week was incredible. That was what was quite unusual about that whole week. But I've recited the poem in many places. People will often just get me to say it just because it's fun to listen to because you can because I can yeah and then you fancy a drink at the end of it so (laughs) well typically yeah so because you can can you recite the toast for us I can indeed a fair for your honest sonsy face great chieftain of the pudding race upon them are you tack your place pinch tripe or theorem well are you worthy of a grace as langs my earum the groaning trencher there you fill your hardies like a distant hill. Your pen would help to mend a mill in time of need, whilst through your pores the dews distill like amber beat. His knife, see rustic labour dicht, then cut she up already slicht, trenching your gushing entrails bricht like ony dicht, and then, oh, what a glorious sight. Warum, reeking rich. In horn for horn they stretch and strive, deal tack the hindmost on they drive, till all their wee swelt kites belive are bent like drum. And all oh, good man, mist like to arrive, we thank it hums. Is there that o'er his French ragout, or olio with stow a sou, or fricassee with macker spew we perfect scunner, look down we sneer in scornfevu at sick a dinner? Pear devil, 
See him o'er his trash, as feckless as a withered rash, his spindle shank a good whiplash, his knee a knit, through bloody floods or fields to dash, ugh, how unfit. But mark the rustic haggis fade, the trembling earth resounds his tread, clapping his wally neva blade he'll mack it whistle, and legs and arums and hedge will sned like taps a thistle. Ye powers wa mak mankind your care, and dish the mutter bill a fair. Old Scotland wants nae stinking wear the jobs and luggies, for if you wish her grateful prayer, gie her a haggis. Thank you very much. That's great. There you go. Thanks. <laughs> Do you have a favourite part of that? Well, I must admit that the poem in itself is based around the fact that the Scottish fare is the best in the world and everybody that eats it is strong and powerful. And for all other world cuisines, it doesn't make you very strong. So it's quite demeaning to everybody else in the world. So I think my favourite part is when they talk about slicing open and the, the smell, the warm reek and rich, the, the, the aromas that come from the dish and the fact that it's... His knife, see rustic labour dich, refers to, you know, just a, a commoner, a rustic labour knife. Is The duties of that are put down for the time to slice open the ceremonial meal and share. So I think for me, the idea of the quality of what it actually is, but the bringing together of all types of people and sharing this meal, is, is that's my kind of favourite bit, slicing it open. What whiskey would you recommend for a Burns night? So if people are sitting down to have their haggis, neeps and tatties, what would you drink with that? Glenfiddich 15's one of the whiskies I think I always choose with there, not just because of who I work for. Obviously, there are other whiskies in the world. I would be a fool to think otherwise. But for me, Glenfiddich 15 in our portfolio certainly has the balance of sweet and spice. There's a nice bit of American oak in there with some European oak, and it's put together in a very unusual Solera vat system. And with the, you know, because Haggis does have a sweetness and a spice to it, this whiskey tends to, for me and for many that have tried it in a combination, tends to cut through the, the richness of the food, deliver a nice whiskey flavour, but not overpower either component, which I think is the, the, the aim that you're trying to get for when your food pairing is a balance, not one overpowering the other. And how will you be celebrating Burns Night? Are you working or are you at home? Or? I'm working a whiskey show, actually, which means I'll probably have to recite the poem at some point during the, uh, the day. It's unusual. I'm not actually doing a, a Burns night on the actual night. I've already did one in Glasgow on Thursday of last week and I'm doing one tomorrow in Stourbridge uh, near Birmingham. And I think I've got a little bit of duty on Friday night to do something a little bit more informal. And then, as I say, I'm at a whiskey show all day Saturday, so... Is that the National Whiskey it's Festival? The yeah. It's the National, that's right, in SWG3. So we've mentioned that you're the brand ambassador for Scotland for Glenfiddich. What does this entail and how did you get into this job? Oh, goodness. How long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> OK, so what does it entail? The easiest way to talk about it is that I'm an, uh, an educator of whiskey. So I'm not an expert. It's such a vast and complex subject in some places that it would be impossible. And I don't like being called an expert of whiskey. I, I enjoy whiskey. I'm an expert in drinking it. For me, as an ambassador, it's about giving people the opportunity to understand what the whiskey is in the terms that will be understandable to them. So you're a diplomat, you're an actor, you're a presenter, you're uh, an educator, as I say. You're trying to give people the bridge between where they are at their whiskey knowledge or understanding, irrespective of what that might be. Understand that and work with them to help them explore that further. 
my job from day to day will go from, as I say, tomorrow I'm down south doing a, a Burns night and hosting a dinner for 35 people. Today I'm in Edinburgh doing a podcast with, with the Scotsman. This afternoon I've got a meeting um, with a retailer in the centre of Edinburgh about a whiskey launch they want me to host for them. So there's many points, no two days are the same. But overall, you're an educator in whiskey. And how did I get into it? As I'd previously mentioned, I worked in London for a number of years. I'd worked in hospitality and I'd always had a love for wine. I'd studied my wines and sort of started to embellish my career with certificates and awards of those types of things. But I actually became quite bored of wine or not bored. I didn't really want to be a meteorologist, which it seems you have to be because you have to know whether it rained in October or there was a hard frost in France. And that was starting to lose the, it was becoming a little bit too cliquey for me. Whiskey was on the up, we're talking 15 years ago, and I saw an opportunity to create an educational program for consumers to enjoy whiskey in a different way, in a totally different way, basically just breaking down all the myths and barriers and creating something quite acceptable. And as an involvement there, I was introduced to the William Grant family, who owned Glenfiddich and Balvenie and Hendricks Gin. And we started to talk and I worked alongside their current ambassador at the time and I would fill in in London when he couldn't make it. And over time, that role grew and he stepped down from the position and I took on full time and that was five and a half years ago. So sort of a gradual move into it, but 15 years ago there was still an idea in my head that what I wanted to do was work in the whiskey industry. I wanted to educate people and do it in a slightly different manner and, and open up the category to people, which hopefully I've done. Through all of that, what might surprise people about your job? It never stops. I don't know if that would be a surprise. Now with social media, whiskey shows at weekends, dinners in the evening, you actually don't stop. I suppose the surprise would be an average week is 70 hours plus if you actually start to look at it. So that may be as a surprise to people because if they follow me on social media, it looks like I only go out and hang around in bars. <laughs> it does look very glamorous. <laughs> yeah, very glamorous. But as I said to a, a manager recently within the business, I said, no one cares about photographs of expenses being done at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. So you have to, I think that would be the surprise for most people is that it is a more than a full-time job. So you've got to love it. You do. It is a passion. It, yeah, without a doubt. And um, like all jobs, I suppose you do have mornings when you get up and you cannot be bothered or cannot face it but I think in some quite a lot of jobs I'm sure there's people that can think I can't be bothered in my job today I'm going to go in and hide I'll get through the day but I'm going to hide behind a screen we can't the ambassadors are front facing so there have been times where you're sitting before you go out to address a group or and you have a little chat with yourself and go right come on you you can, you can do this that's why I say it's almost like being an actor. You have to pull on a persona and go out there and perform and then come back and... Hide somewhere. <laughs> question your life. <laughs> Where has been your favourite place that whiskey or your job has taken you? Oh, I recently returned from Lagos in Nigeria and that was a complete eye-opener for me. I'd never been to travel a little bit with the role. I used to be the UK ambassador and would quite often help out in Europe in places like Italy and Belgium. But it was the first time I'd been into Africa. And somewhere like Lagos, if any of the listeners have been there, they'll know what I mean when it you land and that's it. It's just an amazing 
interesting, colourful, vibrant, energetic city with something like 45 million inhabitants. Wow. <laughs> so that was October last year. I was there to launch one of our products, Grand Cru. And um, uh, yeah, I think it was, it was an incredible experience and really gave me some pride in the fact that one, I'd been asked to go across and do there, but how the product was received, how I was received and treated, it was exceptional. And then I flew back in from sunny Lagos into rainy Edinburgh and, <laughs> and back to expenses. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to do the Desert Island Dram section, which is where I ask you, if you could only choose three whiskies to take on a desert island, what would they be and why? I get asked this quite often. And my answers change quite often as well, depending on the mood I'm in or maybe a whiskey I've had recently. But there's always sort of three that end up in there somewhere. There's going to be a Glenfiddich, obviously. One of my real all-time favourites with Glenfiddich, taking the budget into consideration, if there is any, is 15-year-old distillery edition. Now, on a desert island, there's a couple of good reasons for this. One, it's a duty-free product, what we call GTR. So it comes in a litre bottle. So there's a bonus. It's slightly higher strength, which is good because you're going to use some water or, and here's the crux, it's delicious with coconut water. So if you're on a desert island making a highball, you'll struggle to get ice, obviously, but some fresh coconut water in Glenfiddich 15 Distillery Edition is an absolutely refreshing dram. So that would be one. I think going off-brand slightly, because I'm a big whiskey drinker, I'd take some Old Pulteney 17. Now, my gran was born in Wick, which is where that distillery is, and I've got very fond memories of sort of side of my family and therefore that whiskey says something to me it's a very personal connection again quite light and fresh so it's going to work well in the heat and then if I had depends on if I'm on this island on my own I'd want something to remind me of all the good times in my life and I think one of the best was meeting my girlfriend at a whiskey show quite a few years ago over a glass of Buna having 40 year old and that comes from an island it comes from Isla but it's an unpeated version and just one of those whiskies again, which is exceptional in its quality, but also reminds me of an important time in my life. So that would be my three, I think. And that's not a bad whisky shelf to have. No, it sounds good. <laughs> Keep you going anyway. It certainly would. Thanks for coming in, Mark. And thank you for those insights into whisky for Burns Night and, of course, for reciting the toast to the haggis. Thank you very much. A real pleasure all round. Enjoy your Burns Night. Thank you. You too. I'm now joined in the studio by Scott Munro, Head of Region for East of Scotland for Marks and Spencers, and James McSween, Managing Director of McSween Haggis, one of the main, if not the main, producer of Haggis in Scotland. Hello there to both of you. Hi. Hi, Rosalind. James, your name has become synonymous with Haggis, so can you tell us how did it all begin? Yeah, the business was founded in 1953 by my grandfather, who was running somebody else's butchery business, and then he got made redundant and he was going to go and look for a job in another butcher shop and the owner, or Mrs. Orr, his daughter, just persuaded my grandfather to venture out on his own and set up his own shop. He wasn't a natural entrepreneur, unlike my father who was, and they founded the business in 1953 and we started off as a small high street butcher in Brunsfield Place and then from 96 onwards we've concentrated on, on manufacturing and supplying the supermarkets. What different varieties of haggis do you produce and how have the changing food trends such as gluten-free veganism and vegetarianism changed your range over the years? Yeah, very traditionally until 2014 predominantly all the haggis we made was in natural casing which is a very traditional way and we still do 
a significant amount of volume in haggis in, in traditional casing. From that point on, we made a range of products that are probably a bit more competitively priced in, in plastic casing. That, I think, is as people have, um, or their appreciation of haggis has matured, they still want a traditional haggis for burns, but they want something that's a bit more easy to use on, on a daily, weekly basis. We also developed a, a gluten-free haggis. We have a vegetarian haggis that we, or my father, invented in 1984, well before plant-based was even a thing. And we have also done a Moroccan-spiced vegetarian haggis in the past, but you know, we also make black puddings. We're quite a well-rounded business from a kind of meat products perspective. So we're here today as well to talk about haggis, but also the fact that you're producing a haggis for Marks and Spencers. So how did this collaboration come about? Got a call on the 4th of July in 2012 from somebody at M&S saying they were looking at contingency of supply. And I was kind of scratching my head going, well, they've already got a haggis supply. Why are they wanting to speak to me? But little did I know that the people that were manufacturing M&S's haggis at the time were having some financial problems. Um, sadly, that business as Halls of Broxburn is no longer trading. But we were given the opportunity to present haggis, black pudding, vegetarian haggis and, and white pudding. So I quickly went into the kitchen, started developing some products, took them down to um, Waterside, which is the M&S's head office, presented these products to the development team. So we were in talks for a significant period of time um, before we actually you know, kind of launched the haggis. And, and it was Burns 2013 was our, our first, when we probably went mainstream with um, haggis and black pudding and vegetarian haggis into M&S. You've made the news really recently about getting around the US ban with Scottish veggie crumble. Yep. Which means that you're exporting veggie haggis to the USA for the first time in almost 50 years. How does that feel and can you tell us a bit more about all that for anyone yeah. that doesn't know? Yeah, so uh, I was I went out with the Scotland Food and Drink um, or the Scottish Government Food and Drink team in 2015, I think it was, and met people from the USDA and the FDA and animal plant health inspection and they said yeah we will accept that you know meat regulations are going to change we're going to start looking at importing lamb and beef from scotland and i was obviously there to represent the haggis industry and they said yes we will take um, exports of haggis the lung meat had to be taken out of the recipe so that was one of the prerequisites and the same conversation was being had with Canada at broadly the same time. We launched into Canada in 2017. We're still waiting for the relaxation of the legislation uh, for the United States so not giving up waiting I've just decided that you know we've got a fantastic plant-based product um, which is all on trend right now. We've internationalized it by making the packaging more appealing to a, a 52 week of the year consumer. We don't call it haggis because then you're you're really kind of earmarking it for really only one month of the year because haggis is even a more of a focal um, pinpoint in the month of January when you're an expat or you're living as a Scottish American, for example. So we've, we've made it more appealing and really trying to tap into this alternative protein plant-based consumer, which is a, a very big trend in the United States right now. Sounds good. Veggie crumble. <laughs> so this probably is a bit of a stupid question, but how important is Burns Night to you? Burns Night for us is, is huge. Being a, a business that specialises in, in making haggis, if you're not busy now, you're never going to be busy the rest of the year. We, we do 30% of our annual turnover in, in the month of January, 50% over November, December and January. It's, it really is the focal point of all our year's work and supplying all our customers and, and especially our special relationship we have with M&S. We've developed some fantastic products for them. They are in a par with my own because 
when we decided to work with M&S, I wasn't going to make them a haggis that was almost as good as mine, apart from the, the seasoning blend being slightly different and the protein being different because that's a pork and beef haggis, whereas I was a lamb and beef haggis. But that's typically what the M&S haggis had been before we started doing the work. I just said to my sister, who I was working with at the time, I said, we're just going to give them all our IP. We're going to use the same blend of oatmeal, you know, and the same ratios of oatmeal. And that's why their, their haggis is as good as ours. I truly believe that. And we eat it on a regular basis. You know, the, we had a taste panel last week where we're, we're eating all the seasonal products that are going into M&S right now. And it, it really is a sensational haggis. And how will you be celebrating Burns Night? Do you get the night off or are you going to be really busy? <laughs> I don't get the day off because I'm addressing the haggis in M&S at the Guile store on Saturday. Saturday night, I will probably be putting my feet up and having haggis snips and tatties with my, my wife and my two sons. My wife's a real vegetarian haggis fan, but my, my two sons love real haggis. So that's what we'll be doing. Sounds good. And just finally, what might surprise people about your job? What might surprise me about my job? Maybe how much I eat haggis. And we genuinely get up every day to make the world's best haggis. We don't have a huge portfolio of products, but we are truly fanatical about haggis and are excited about, you know, eating haggis, talking about haggis, sharing our experiences of haggis, getting people to eat haggis for the very first time. So we eat a lot of haggis. So you're not sick of it then? Never. <laughs> okay, thanks, James. And as we already mentioned, that haggis is going to be in M&S stores for Burns Night. And I'm just going to pass over to Scott Munro, who's the head of region for East of Scotland for Marks & Spencers. Hello, Scott. What new products for Burns Night can customers expect from Marks & Spencers this year? As you know, Juno Burns is a very traditional celebration and we've got the best product in the market already with McSween's uh, haggis that's currently on our shelves. But we'll also be looking to innovate and this year we will be um, introducing a haggis on croute, which is haggis, neeps and tatties tapped off with a whiskey sauce wrapped in a phyllo pastry. But we have also got all the core ingredients for a really successful burn celebration. We've got James's haggis, but we've also got fresh produce market specials. We'll have our, our neeps in there as well. We'll also have parsnips in there. And uh, all of this also comes from the local supply base in Scotland. You know, quite a lot of the product is coming from uh, Fife, from Kettle. Our potatoes are also coming from Persia and they're coming from Manor Fresh up there. So we've got the best of local produce from across Scotland to ensure that our customers have the very best celebration, but we're also being fairly innovative with some new exciting product as well. Nice, sounds good. So how important is it for you guys to get producers such as um, McSween on board? Really important, really important. You know, we have been trading in Scotland for 100 years now and over that period that we have built up, you know, it's a really strong relationship with the Scottish supply base, whether that be Robbie Galloway and Scott Beef, who we've been in partnership with for about 50 years now. Those guys are just based outside Dunblane or whether that be the Old Curiosity Distillery here in Edinburgh with uh, Hamish and Liberty Martin, who we've been in partnership for the last year as James shared earlier we've been in partnership with James for about seven eight years now we've got 40 suppliers that we work really closely with across Scotland and those suppliers are then linked to the best part of 4,000 farms that provide you know it's about two and a half thousand ingredients for our M&S products that we've got in the shelf so it's really really important that we continue to uh, develop and encourage a strong Scottish supply base and you know great relationships with uh, local suppliers like James. Which is good to know I think people are 
more aware of that kind of thing these days. They want to know where kind of things have come from and how far it's travelled. And another thing I've obviously noticed is the food and diet changes. So as James discussed, he's got vegetarian haggis, which is also vegan and the gluten free. But how have these food and diet changes changed and what you stock? Yeah, we always listen to our customer. Customer voice is probably the, the most important voice that we could uh, listen to and pay attention to. And uh, our most successful range that we have launched in recent times has been our plant kitchen range, which we've launched uh, in the last 12 months and we've continuously developed. So there is definitely a requirement there and generally it's a customer's uh, shopping habits are, are changing. How are you going to be celebrating Burns Night? Well, not just Burns Night, but during the day, because as James has already shared, uh, I'll be in Gale with James to hear James address the haggis. And what we will have is we'll have pipers piping them in. We'll have Highland dancers in there as well. It feels like that it's going to be, you know, it's an absolutely fantastic afternoon. And then at night, I'll be at home with the family as well. And uh, yeah, I'll be uh, having James's uh, top tier Provinder product as well. And I'll be sharing that with uh, my wife and uh, my two kids. Hopefully, sounds good. So now we're on to the My Life and Food section, which is a quick fire question round, if you can answer the first thing that comes to your mind. And I'll just ask you both, so if you want to just jump in. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. So what food brings back memories of childhood? Haggis, neeps and tatties. Mints and tatties. A lot of tatties on the go here. <laughs> if you had an hour to cook a meal, what would it be and why? I would do a pasta dish with meatballs and a tomato ragu. It's a dish I cook frequently with my kids at home love it. I think myself and James are just finding out we're more similar than we probably thought before we came into the room here. I would definitely do a spaghetti bolognese. I'd do a sensational spaghetti bolognese. You're in a bar at 1am. What do you order? Haggis nachos. Oh. <laughs> Cafe Patron. <laughs> What's your food guilty pleasure? Oh, anything pastorish, steak. I love that sort of Italian food. Robust smoked Scottish salmon. And if you knew you were about to have your last meal, what would it be? Haggis needs some ties. <laughs> I told you I'm fanatical about haggis. <laughs> it would need to be chocolate. Thank you very much. So thank you, James and Scott, for joining me in the studio today. That was a great insight into haggis and what we can expect from Marks and Spencer's this coming weekend. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Thank you, Rosalind. You can download Scran wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app for iOS and Android. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review Scran and help other listeners discover us too. This is a Laudable production for The Scotsman. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following on Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, and Instagram by searching Laudable underscore podcasts.